Blog Talk Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as tired as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. <laughs> Monday, February 28th, and welcome to Season 8 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 15-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. Got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living, because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, Cancer Myths. Kicking it all off in the Survivor Spotlight, Susan Moser, Young Adult Survivor, Sacrococcygeal Teratoma Grade 3. Gesundheit. We'll find out what that is. Dr. Leonard Tender, Chairman of I2Y, Clinical Professor of Medicine and Director of Oncology, Oncology Services at the Chow, C-H-A-O, Comprehensive Cancer Center. And Timothy Moynihan, MD, Department Chair at the Department of Medical Oncology at the Mayo Clinic. We've heard of that. They make mayonnaise. Sure, they sure do. It's Hellman's Clinic. That's right. Anyway, as a reminder, this broadcast, they're going to hate us. This broadcast uh, is a production of the... Because they're immediately before we're listening. This broadcast is a production of the I'm Too Young for the Cancer Foundation. Online at stupidcancer.com. Low-fat mayonnaise. Yes, we, yes, light mayonnaise. We help young adults fight cancer every day and are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs because it's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So, hello, my friends, and welcome back to yet another fun-filled and exciting romp of the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and iTunes. Don't forget us on iTunes. We are free on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. All righty. Um, the Stupid Cancer is a live interactive feed. During each broadcast, we invite you to join in on fun, connect with our friends, ask questions of our guests, and take an active role in making this broadcast even more awesome than we hope it already is. All righty. We have um, just some good guests tonight. Excellent guests. We have a lot of great guests tonight. We're in studio. Some, ra- some regular groupies that we're getting quite accustomed to. We're getting groupies here. We have um, Anna Brower is here tonight. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. 
She has a lovely dress on on this crappy weather day in New York. She's decided to break through and add a bit of sunshine. Well, Anna, Anna's official title within the organization is she's a chief, opti- chief optimism officer. We need we need a lot of those. Yes, we do. But we she do. actually embodies. She's a tiny little wisp of a girl, but she embodies a lot of power where optimism is concerned. She's a, a micro tornado. Yes. And we are joined by Erin Eloise, as always. Hello, everyone. Good evening, my dear. She's a tall, statuesque girl. <laughs> Is this some sort of... We need Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and so, Andy got beaten up in the jail. That was in my really bad Morgan. Time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. What, what was that, Matt? Yeah. Something about <laughs> Andy Dufresne getting beat up in the jail. No, like, or like a movie preview. In a land. In a world. <laughs> with Erin Eloise. And Anna, and Anna Brower coexist. <laughs> The average height in this universe <laughs> is minimized to five foot seven. Uh, all right, James Manning is back. Uh, he's uh, in the studio audience. We have Ian Sisson. Am I pronouncing your name right? Sisson. I'm going to start spelling it the wrong way. He's not seasoned yet, so he's yes. a Sisson, and so we make him a Sisson. And uh, we have a guest here. Susan Moser brought a guest. Sir, your name again? Peter. Peter. Welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show. It's a pleasure to have you. Please don't hate us if you get embarrassed. Do you think they're comfortable over there? Are they on a couch? I can't. They don't have a choice. <laughs> well, they're not on the floor, so we that's took the good. spikes out of the couch too. So, and it's not seven thousand degrees in here as you. No, no. We have to thank our building, uh, Forty Worth. We have to thank them for finally after um, how long have we been in this room? We moved in this room in, um, I think, January of 2010. We moved into this room before we moved across the hall. So it took them two and a half years. But thank you. For um, getting us a dedicated electric circuit. January 2009, he moved into this room. Yes. yes. All right. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pre- two predates years. Yes. my arrival. Predates my arrival. No, I, I was here. Anyway, so thank you for having a dedicated circuit installed in this room. It's nice and cool now with our guests, and uh, we can enjoy not getting sort of hepatitis and typhoid <laughs> during the broadcast. Pretty well, sure that's not how you get hepatitis. I just hey, work with me. I'm trying. We're still kind of breathing on each other. We don't have any yeah. open, we don't have any windows to open. Gary, my kids are sick too, so all of you, ha 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 ha. Oh no. Keep hugging me. We're screwed. I don't think I caught their diarrhea, typhoid, <laughs> Ebola. We're glad you didn't catch the diarrhea, Matt. Well, it's it's you know what it is. They're ten months old uh, today. Actually, it's a ten month birthday. So happy birthday to my lovely children. Um, but yeah, we had a rough weekend to say the least. Yeah. Um, it was north and south all the way. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. It was tough. Yeah. Yeah. They're and going to hate you someday. The, the, well, <laughs> when they listen to this broadcast, I, I'll be probably 45 by the time they understand this, and I don't care. So yeah. I'll have owned them by then to the most possible I, I could, and then they'll start hating me. and I'll, I'll they'll, do... they'll, they'll already have logged a few years of therapy by then. Oh, no. I, I was in therapy at like four years old, so I'm <laughs> planning on getting them in there as soon as possible. Yeah. If anyone out there has any doubts as to how messed up I am, there you go. No, nope, uh, nobody did. Therapy for yourself? Okay. <laughs> no doubts. No, I just belong in New York then. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to um, uh, do you want to give us a stroke update to just keep on the sort of yeah happy um, health? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had some good news today. I mean, and and it was it was just good news. The uh, basically, it's it's still guaranteed. It's not a tumor. Yeah. And now I'm I good news. I still just had a stroke. Yeah. It's not a tumor. Okay, so we we're definitely short of a stroke. Yeah, it yeah. was a. I don't have a. Not it's really. sort of a stroke. I don't have that. But <laughs> which is it's not a tumor. Okay, so concurrently, conclusively, coagulatively, and fantastically, it is not a tumor. I did have a a, a mini brain bleed. But the doctor, who is the expert, Dr. Keith Siller, great guy at NYU. I checked him on Facebook, so I'm glad I did because I like him. 
<laughs> your Facebook friends with him? No, I just tagged him in my oh, update because he's on the MOU website. He's, he's a doctor. He shouldn't be on Facebook too much. No, no, he's not, especially yeah. since he's like the chief of the stroke center at NYU. Yeah. yeah. Um, we got along famously. Really nice guy. Uh, explained to me that what I had was, wasn't was really a classic stroke because it wasn't caused by sort of what they call stenosis or arteriosclerosis, where the veins and the arteries in the brain thin because of cholesterol, plaque, or aging, and then they just sort of snap. Mm-hmm. Um, there are apparently these micro uh, arteries that spin off of regular arteries we can't see. They're absolutely microscopic. And over the course of time, over like 10, 15 years post-radiation to a certain degree, they tend to like give up on hope. And they, <laughs> the end of the world Keep is... Keep hope alive! They have the end of the world is near like sandwich boards on them. Please. And they're like, I just can't do this anymore. And sorry, <laughs> goodbye. So one of them apparently gave up. Um, there were millions of them, of course. And, and some were in my posterior Blackers. pasta in the, in the uh, brainstem. Along the lines of a major artery... One of these tiny little things you can't see. Even you can't even see them with an angiogram. They're just so tiny. Um, just snapped. So the bleed, the artifact in the MRA and the MRI, uh, just were, was very non-standard. He showed me actually what a real stroke MRI MRA looks like, and it was completely different. So while this is technically categorized pathologically as a brain bleed stroke, it really wasn't. They're calling this radiation vasculopathy. Now that gets a gesundheit. Radiation vasculopathy which is apparently, and I think I mentioned this in this report, it's clinical. They know it. It's published. This is a known thing that happens to patients who get head and neck radiation for lymphoma, uh, for uh, brain tumors, and uh, in some cases for thyroid cancer. But it, you didn't it, get a packet when you like left the hospital and all your treatment that said, here, you might get this 15 years later. I right? did, but it didn't include stroke. It included like everything else I currently have. So it's like dry mouth <laughs> yeah. and... I won't go into it. I'll spare, I'll yeah, spare our yeah. listeners all the insaneness that I, I live with every day. Um, you know, my father says that the secret to life is to clean up nice and make it look good, but never look under the hood. Well, there's something to be said for yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so uh, long story short, there's no sort of treatment or cure for this type of vasculopathy of these micro um, arteries in the brain, but I'm at no risk for major stroke. So bacon all around. Yes, bacon. <laughs> Deep fried bacon, yeah. top of bacon, um, in a bacon and sauce. Inside a steak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> bacon inside a turducken, <laughs> deep fried inside a Twinkie. <laughs> Within a giant cookie dough ball. <laughs> Can I get any worse? Well, you pretty much eat that now. <laughs> oh, I know. I, well, Kenny does. No, the thing is, yeah. I, eat, I eat better than most Americans. I don't have fried food. I don't eat fast food. The thing is, I, I, I make conscious decisions in my, radi- uh, my, my um, dietary regimen out of just personal. I almost feel like it's a little Chris Carr. Not like I'm going to go colonics or, you know, yeah. drinking kale, which is great if you want to do that. But, and nothing against Chris I love her. It was a great show last week. Yeah. But, the, you know, the, just the notion of, like, I have no control over this, so what can I do to have some control over it? Right. So I'm now on a low salt diet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on a. Uh, I've eliminated all, del- all deli meats. Uh huh. So no emulsified processed turkey or ham or roast beef or any other stuff. Okay, good. Um, it's, I guess. I, I can't have regular turkey, like carved turkey. Right, that's right, fine. Right. right. I've eliminated all artificial sweeteners except for stevia, which I've mm-hmm. been taking and I like it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to avoid NutraSweet uh, like the devil. No mm-hmm. more NutraSweet. Incidentally, totally uh, unrelated. Last week. I, we in between last show and this show, huge news made the news all last week. Oh, it was on Dateline, Nightline, Kitty Cork. Um, strong link between NutraSweet, 
Sacramento, uh, Nutra Suite um, uh, with um, Phenol Kit Nuria. Yeah, yeah. Monsanto makes Nutra Suite, which is equal brand. Right. And Stroke. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Finally, Clinical Link. Are we having trouble? Would you like to share something with everyone in the audience? What? Crazy Drastic Stroke Diet? Is that what the book I should write? Not Crazy Sexy Stroke Diet? Crazy Drastic Stroke Diet. I get it. You think you're funny. Okay. This is dangerous when we have Kenny and Eloise face each other. Yeah. Then they can do a little shorthand oh my God. and mischief abound. It's a good thing we're video streaming so you guys can see the, the uh, yeah. dynamic here. Anyway, yeah. That's right. So, caught on tape. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I have a drastic change, but the uh, I was just amazed that they finally linked. And this is, again, clinical. This is not like some random yeah. website saying X, Y, and Z. Right. Excess NutraSweet, excess equal in your diet has caused... More mini strokes in young adults than ever before. In young adults. Young adults. More people between 30 and 40 are getting mini, excuse me, mini strokes now than ever before because of an overdose of NutraSweet. So what happened to the com? Are they? Is that a? Is there a stock thing that happened here? Are they a publicly? There's been like a seven-year study. No, I mean, like in terms of the financial fortunes of the companies with that news coming oh, out. Oh, I don't think I think I know that Monsanto was planning, and I don't expect them to ever be a sponsor, so I don't care. Yeah. Monsanto was planning like a counter campaign. To, the way know, we talk, we don't expect anyone to be a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> no, we like Playboy <laughs> and Blender. Blend, is Blend, no, Blender's gone, right? Blender magazine. Yeah, I like them anyway. Um, so anyway, that's. Okay. The irony that that came out, I, I did drink a lot of soda, but they're telling me this had nothing to do with that because the way that mini strokes present when you have too much NutraSweet uh, is very different. But that was it, like the odds of the link. So stop drinking diet soda with uh, NutraSweet. Um, nothing about regular soda, just diet soda with NutraSweet. Okay, I'm and, noticing that it's 813, Matthew. We had some other things to chat up, but we also uh, might want to get to our first guest. Well, our first guest is in studio, so she can wait. <laughs> Oh. Love you too, man. <laughs> no, I, I do want to just basically, uh, we have two quick things to say. One is I forgot to play this last week. I've actually forgot to play this the last three shows. But we finally got Zac Efron to do something for the this show. This is very cool. This is super cool. Are you ready, folks? Do I have a drum? I don't have drum a drum roll. Drum roll, please. Come on, Matt. Where's my drum roll? I'm going to have to find my drum roll. Fail, yeah, I know. <laughs> Here it is. Ready? I got it. Ready? Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to the Stupid Cancer Show. Woo! Ow! That just induced a hot flash. <laughs> that might have been the most exciting time Let's hear it again. Of my this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to the Stupid Cancer Show. Ow! Woo! That's a female young adult premenopausal moment. Oh or postmenopausal. <laughs> or perimenopausal. All right, awesome. Awesome. Just fantastic. So we have that. We Got everybody's non working hormones <laughs> kicking in. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Very, very nice. Awesome. 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 That, that, is, that, that is, was almost as exciting as the time his picture came to the office. That is. It was really cool. Um, I, he did that for us at the uh, Charity Benefit out in Los Angeles. And special thanks to Emily Hobson and Stacey Owens, our L.A. crew, for making that happen. And to Frankie Verdugo, a lovely gentleman who runs the Home Foundation. We are a beneficiary of their philanthropy. Good stuff. Um, on a somber note, I have to make another announcement. We, we lost another dear friend to the organization. And I feel like we do this every week. We lose people every week. It's always terrible. Um, and we hate to just single people out for no reason. Um, we could... 
mention 100 people every show, but the uh, young woman who started the I2Y Minneapolis chapter uh, a little over a year ago uh, recently lost her battle. So uh, Tia Ann Sager was a, a really feisty young woman uh, who came guns a-blazing into the organization, ready to really make change. She has left an insane legacy in Minnesota for us to continue to branch out, um, talk about young adult cancer, and use her story as a beacon of light in how we are making progress, but we're not quite where we'd like to be. So, Tia, rest in peace. We love you. We miss you. And thank you for your contributions to our cause. Um, on another note, really quickly, um, the radio show passed 585,000 listens. Woo! So there are a lot of people listening to the show and hear us memorialize these women every week or these men every week and know that we're very serious about this because we do take the show very lightly with a lot of humor, and that's how, sort of how we're handling it as a generation. But uh, this is very serious, folks. Young adults need your help, and uh, thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for supporting our cause. Um, all right, so let's get to the spotlight. We can talk about um, the C4YW Roundup and the, the news during the, during the break. All right, so let's cue this up. What time is it? Oh, Go, Mighty Matt. I'm taking my time. You got Susan Bio right there in front taking of you. Taking my time. Taking my time. Right next to me, though. Susan Moser was diagnosed at birth. Nice job. With sacrococcygeal tetratoma. Sorry, Lisa, you did a better job. Sacrococcygeal tetratoma, grade three. She's now 25 fabulous years old, and after graduating magna cum laude from Cornell University and NYU Law School, an underachiever, she now works as an associate at the... What? Devil Boys and Devil Boys. I do Devil Boys and I should have done this intro. Allie McBeal. She works for Allie McBeal in litigation, and she hates cats. So I love her. I hate cats. Susan Moser. You felt compelled to put that you hate cats on your bio? You must really hate cats. I, I reminded her that she hated cats. I'm yeah. going to remind her to push her mic closer. Don't lean into the mic. Just push it There's closer towards you. There's something a little off. Can you guys hear me okay? You're fine. Because I'm just you chewing are. and swallowing this mic, and I just, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, <no>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Come on. Stop it. Grow up, you silly little young adult. <laughs> you know. All right. No, that deserves, that deserves this. <laughs> all right, Lisa, it's all you. Sacrococcygeal. Tetratoma stage three. Sacrococcygeal teratoma. Teratoma. There you go. This says tetratoma. That was a mistake. <laughs> okay. Terranova? Teratoma. Terranova. That's a restaurant. Terranova. It's a new Steven Spielberg show. Terran- Let's talk to Susan because <laughs> okay. she's right here. All right, so all right, she's got a so sacred coxygen yeah. right, story so to tell. So tell me how it's your, your fault you are born with cancer. <laughs> I'm clearly a horrible person. No, um, I, you know, came out of the womb awesome with a massive tumor um, and a massive ego, obviously. Uh, and you know, they have no explanation for why. Out of the womb with a massive tumor. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like, at stage four, so it had spread by the time. Did they anymore. notice this in, like, any sonograms or anything? No, I guess back then, 25 years ago, um, I, they didn't notice anything. You mean when I was 13? When you were 13 and I was still in the and womb. And Lisa was 13? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Close so, enough. Yeah, no, nothing abnormal until I came out and the doctor literally turned to my mother and father and said there's a problem with the baby and 
that was the beginning of a long adventure of surgeries and chemo and kidney failing and all that fun stuff. Your tumor was where exactly? Uh, sacrum area, so like lower back. Is that considered like a sarcoma? It's not really considered anything. It's its own beast. Um, Hence she's the awesome. Te- tetroma. Teratoma. Teratoma. Yeah. She invented her own cancer. I did. I did. Well, you apparently <laughs> m- broke the mold, right? Literally and figuratively? I did. Uh, I'm really the only documented case of something as severe as mine, uh, as young. Uh, there are children who are born with the tumor. It's usually benign, and if it is malignant, it's at, you know, stage zero, and it can be easily taken care of with very minimal side effects uh, and minimal surgery. I had a one-of-a-kind surgery, multiple surgeries, uh, and over the next many months uh, underwent chemotherapy. Was this something they needed to get out of you right away or something? Immediately. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they And because it had spread, they basically had to do full reconstruction um, in that area, I removed my sphincter muscle. I know, lovely. We already talked about diarrhea, so I felt like that was right. <laughs> that yeah. was totally well, and, totally and it was fun. and it was infant diarrhea too. So awesome. you're, you were infant. It was I, prescient I was. of you, Matthew. I, I am a I am a seer. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, that was. So you was so you're a kid, and so right out of the womb, you already started having surgeries, and. Uh, over the course of, you said, of many years, multiple surgeries? I had multiple surgeries. I had, so basically for the first year and a half, most of the surgeries were taken care of. My first surgery was at 10 days old uh, to remove the tumor completely. And then after that, they immediately gave me a colostomy, um, which stayed until I was about three years old. Um, But between that, I had all sorts of fun stuff, all sorts of reconstruction surgery. My entire rectum is not mine, basically. So you don't really have any memory of this, obviously. No, I remember nothing. I just remember. Your parents, on the other hand, had a heck of a time of it. Right. Yes. And your parents were young adults. They were. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah, in our 30s. Yeah, exactly. Um, So what about, and then then, so after all those surgeries, then what happened? um, Then I became you know, the most watched human being probably in the world. Uh, You know, I'm heavily monitored by doctors uh, to this day, uh, but not much else happens. I have side effects, as everybody with cancer has. I recently got a heart procedure done to fix it. Well, what I said before, again, I'm a prophet. I said said, uh, the secret to life, my dad said, is to clean up nice, um, make it look good, and never look under the hood. There you go. There you go. My parents' philosophy as well. (laughs) And and obviously, but you look great. Of course, yes, apparently. Uh, yeah, I mean, nobody can tell if you look at me. But Did you also have chemo, radiation, any drugs? I had chemo, okay. no radiation. At, at what age? At birth. Really? At birth? Yeah. Wow. I had chemo immediately uh, because it, had spra- it was so advanced by the time. Did you have a stunted growth and have to go on horror? I mean, I because mean, yeah. you're as tall as my wife. Yeah. She didn't have the, so, I mean. No. Um, so my dad is 6'5", and I am 5 feet, but my mom is also 5 feet. So we're not really sure whether I could have been, could have been taller or right. not. Um, both well, my siblings are average height. Erin, what's she missing? <laughs> you're not paying attention. No, Erin's not paying attention. It's no, okay. no, I am. She, <laughs> she just didn't get the right genes. Okay. <laughs> Blame my dad. Um, so but no, I mean, what's she missing by not being five foot eleven like you are? Oh, she's uh, she's missing the ridicule in school. Um, well, I can't reach things at high on high places, so oh. I'm missing that. 
Well, uh, it's not that great. They're step stools. Even I can't reach stuff, and I'm five seven. Well, there you go. I had to stand on a step stool with one of those like reaching poles to get the paper towels off the rack. So I'm right there with I you. I just reached them. Yes, and Kenny and I and were I just. I hate you. Look at those. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, when did you know you wanted to be a sorry, lawyer? When I was seven. Really? Yes. Were you like watching Matlock or something? <laughs> Did you know what Matlock was? No. Okay. I do know now. Okay. I did not know that. No, I've always wanted to be a lawyer. Anybody who's known me has known my entire life. I really like arguing. And uh, Whoa. That, was, that was pretty much it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but you didn't, there was nothing that related to your illness in anywhere in your family? Nothing. In other, in other generations or nope. other branches of the family at all? Nothing. Um, I mean, you know, I have the typical, my grandmother had breast cancer. But besides that, you know, totally normal. Uh, medically speaking, this was a huge anomaly, remains so. Um, so how often are you checked today? What goes on today to, to watch you? Um, well, I have a yearly uh, at Sloan with great doctors. Actually, one of them is going to be at the summit, so you guys should come to the summit. Um, and then, is that Kevin? Yeah. Dr. Effinger. Kevin Effinger from Sloan Kettering. Awesome guy. Um, and I, you know, when I get sick, I get sick. And I gotta go to specialists, and I gotta go to this guy and that guy, and so it's. So what do you mean? Talk us through that. When you get sick, you get sick. For with what kind? Of, when you get a cold? I mean, with what what kind of illness? Ebola. Clearly, she's yeah. talking about Ebola. Yeah. Clearly. In our windowless uh, <laughs> studio. Yeah, exactly. You guys Thank should you, Susan, all no. run. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I get uh, most recently and periodically get kidney infections. I am extraordinarily prone to kidney infections. Um, may or may not have to do with the procedures that you know left my kidney. Fucked, basically. <laughs> the medical, okay. It's the medical term. We and don't we don't care about the FCC yeah, anyway. Fucked so. kidney. So yeah. you know, I was recently in the hospital for you know, 14 hours, getting multiple tests done, and doctors telling me this doesn't make sense. I don't understand, and me telling them I don't present like a normal patient. So long story short, you know, when I present to a doctor, it's never what they think it should be. Um, and it always requires an extra test or something like that. That's fun for you. Not exhausting at all. Not at all. Trying on the nerves. No. Yeah. No, I love getting multiple CT scans in short amount of time. Big fan of that. I bet you do. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess in terms of the uh, philosophy of what, like, you need, everyone needs a little bit of a scare to get their life on and let's get it out of the way. You've been good to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right out of the womb. Out of, right, right out of the gate. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. yeah I, okay. You know, I, like I said, I do not have a before and after. I have only an after. Do you feel, we talked about this a little bit last week, I think, um, or maybe, no, I was talking with Kenny about this, survivor guilt. When you meet people who are diagnosed at a regular, you know, maybe they have a different set of chronic conditions or a trauma or multiple, do you feel any sense of, like, you, you escaped you were very lucky, but you you escaped relatively unscathed. Again, under the hood notwithstanding. Yeah. I will say, for those who've known me for many years, it has been only in the last two or three years, Peter can attest to this, that I actually even talk about cancer. It was not something that I discussed growing up. My side effects were pretty much just seen as suck it up. Yeah. This is what you live with. It is not an excuse. It is not an impediment. It does not define you. All that stuff. And when I first started talking about it and thinking about it, 
I didn't have survivorship guilt, I don't think, because I didn't consider myself a survivor. Right. Because I don't remember it. I It could have been any disease. Right. It just so happened that I was in the cancer family, and I don't know... You know, and I'm still trying. I still struggle. I mean, I think I talked to Aaron about this like two weeks ago, whether or not I belong in this world, because wait, our world or the your, world? Your world. Okay. Our world. This, okay. Because I, I will officially say you belong in the world. <laughs> She's a lawyer. Thank she you. knows that. Yes. I okay. Know that. Yeah. <laughs> in a world <laughs> with Susan Moser. Yeah. So I don't think it's survivor guilt. I think it's more mm. questioning of, you know, I just know the side effects. You don't and, know and, any other way of life. Well, again, and, and and like me, did you have? Were your parents presented with a? Your daughter might experience the following as she gets older and older. Little guidebook to the post-operative ridiculous. Yes. Um, well, they knew. They didn't know obviously what my side effects were going to be because the surgery that they performed had never been done, especially. So wait, is that a trend? Surgery. You know, I like to be special. Yes. <laughs> but you know, they told my parents that, you know, the chemo that I was on would have X, Y, and Z effects long-term, that in 25 to 30 years, these effects might start creeping up. So, you know, it's never stopping. There's never a point where you can sit back and say, okay, we've we've gotten over the hump. There's not going to be any more problems later on. We don't have to be on the lookout for anything. Right. You know, things are are there. But like I said, my parents made a decision, and I fully support it, that it was not talked about in any way, but in a sense that it was to be a problem. Right. You just said you had a heart. You had a heart surgery. I had a no. procedure. Procedure. We refer which... in my family. We refer to them as procedures. Okay. Um, I had a, a PDA, which you're born with. Isn't that a palm pilot? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It is. Okay. Um, patent ductus. The things they can do with those things I know. these days. Yeah. Um, no. I, so they put a blackberry in your chest. They yeah. did. Okay, fantastic. They did. I'm the bionic woman. <laughs> oh, I used to have that cue. I used to have the thing. Oh, oh anyway. Um, she can play MP3s from her heart. <laughs> oh, very nice. Yeah. So, sorry, Comes go ahead, handy. Susan. Yeah. No, um, I had a hole in my heart actually unrelated to the cancer. Um, a lot of people are born with it. It usually closes, and if it doesn't, they usually do the surgery sort of immediately. But since there were some other issues going on at the time, um, they didn't close it, and they we decided that it was smart to close it now because the chemo drugs that I was on um, can cause some, some serious heart issues later on. So we decided that it would be the best idea to put my heart in the best condition that it could be before, you know, I have a heart attack. And now you run marathons. I don't really run them. You're going to... You gonna skip the marathon? I'm, I'm gonna, gonna crawl. hop it. I'm gonna I'm crawl. Gonna crawl. We're, we're walking team together. Cancer. We're on yes. Team Stupid Cancer. Yes. <laughs> go to our fundraising page. Yes, Team Stupid we're Cancer. Hand yes. In hand. All right. So let's go now to your kick-ass life as a lawyer, a Debevoir. And we have two and, minutes and, left. And, and, and Plimpton. Two minutes. Mm-hmm. What do you yes. practice there? I do litigation with a focus on international dispute resolution. Oh, so you are a fighter. You're in litigation. She's a, she's a, You're she, right in there. She is kick-ass. Yeah. I'm in there. Well, She's a spitfire five feet. Minus Nicholas yeah. Cage as her dad. Yes. As in there as you can be as a first-year associate in a big offer. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, international what? International Dispute Resolution and Security List. And, and Magna Cum Laude from Columbia. You're settling international Cornell. disputes? I'm trying. Like oh, Cornell. Sorry. Are you on, like, border patrol? What are you doing? <laughs> um, things from arbitration. Afghanistan? Yes. What? Yes. Okay. I'm actually, I'm forming the new government of Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> right. Can I, can I be part of that? Mm-hmm. They need more Jews. Oh, they definitely. They are welcoming us with with open arms. Yeah, seriously, quickly, what yeah. what? Just give us a sample a sample case Arbitration. without. Okay. Arbitrations between private parties, things through, uh, you know, WTO, 
arbitrations or stuff like that. NAFTA. Okay, I can understand that. <laughs> Ross Perot likes yeah. NAFTA. He does. Yes, he does. All right, well, you know, you're sticking around. You can chime into the show. Uh, let me get to the news. We'll bring out Dr. Sender, who's patiently waiting in the wings. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Alrighty, head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our stupid cancer events nationwide, even in Canada. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. And we have stupid cancer events coming up in Long Island, Minneapolis, our stupid cancer spring fling here in New York City, the Wrong Way to Hope screen, uh, film screening in New Jersey. The I'm Too Young for This Boston event on April 2nd, and uh, those are the events. In other news, again, we mentioned this before, please support Team Stupid Cancer, our running team for the New York City Half Marathon on March 20th by visiting TeamStupidCancer.com and making a donation towards our runners' fundraising goals. The fourth annual OMG Cancer Summit is fully booked, and we have started the waiting list. Now is the time to get on the waiting list to increase your odds of attending when someone cancels. Visit omg2011.org today. <coughs> the Stupid Cancer Forums are taking off like a lightning rod, and we don't want you missing out on the awesome new online community we are building. Head on over to stupidcancerforums.com, sign up with a one-click through Facebook, and join over 350 survivors, caregivers, and providers who are making us think about stupid cancer. Tomorrow night and every Tuesday, our partners at the Leukemia Lymphoma Society present YA Connect, a free interactive webcast supporting young adults affected by all cancers. Check it out at lls.org slash YA Connect. And as always, be sure to register yourselves with Immerman Angels, our partner in one-on-one peer matching at immermanangels.org, and check out the calendar of her first descent, the premier outdoor adventure organization for YAs with cancer, online at firstdescent.org. Com. They host dozens of retreats every year. And finally, the SAM Fund will be hosting a webinar on financial health. This is going to be on March 9th, 2011, 4 o'clock Eastern Time. You can visit thesamfund.org and click on their news section. That is thesamfund.org to learn more about this live webinar on financial health. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. And now it is time for the man. The myth and the legend. Oh, yeah. Dr. Leonard Sender, or Lenny as we affectionately call him, speaks with a funny accent, and we rarely understand what the heck he's saying. He also uses a Bluetooth headset, which makes about every fourth word understandable when we talk on the phone. Aside from that, he received his medical education in South Africa at the University of Witzwatersrand. That's in Johannesburg. We like to call it Joburg and completed his pediatrics internship and residency at the University of California, Irvine. He is board certified in both pediatrics and pediatric hematology oncology and is one of the nation's foremost leaders, that's right, in young adult clinical care, research, and advocacy. He has an awesome red beard that he wears sometimes, kind of like Kenny Kane. And he's also, unlike Kenny Kane, he's the chairman of the board of I2I. Please welcome Dr. Leonard Sender. Lenny. Good evening. Good Hi, evening. Lenny. Thank you for that very cool. You know, I just realized you have to update your bio because you've got a better Bluetooth headset now, so we can hear you with it. Oh, that's that's great. Uh, do you understand me yet? Yes, <laughs> we do. We do. 
Well, he loves uh, it. No, the South African accent is actually very lovely. Lenny okay. has a very nice accent. And Len, Lenny lost like 40 pounds of group beer, and he's like a handsome man now. He looks amazing. <laughs> he's a handsome man. He's Studley Dr. Leonard, Dr. Leonard Sender. So yeah. you're calling in from Irvine. You're, you're at work? I'm at work. I've just been seeing patients, and uh, I, I listened uh, to the last uh, caller in. It was great discussion. Um, one in 35,000 births have sacrococcygeal teratomas. Wow. Oh. So it's a pretty rare so tumor. You're clearly not alone. <laughs> well, How many of those are you about, Well, you think about the four million births a year. So you're not alone. Uh, but it's but most of them, about 85 percent, are benign, and only a small percentage are malignants. And unfortunately, so you are alone. <laughs> no, you're not alone. There are lots of <laughs> there are lots of people. Everything in pediatric cancer is rare. That's why I'm from Africa. So I can. Distinguish the zebra from the horse, you know. Right. <laughs> um, but when you think about the young adult, zebra's one with the spots, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the young adult cancers, we also got lots of these weird zebras. So, but no, the the, the graduating pediatric cancer survivor is an absolute, you know, person we want for I two I, because you've lived through it, you've lived through many years of it, and we want to have those people on, on part of our organization and to be able to get their message out as well as the message of newly diagnosed young adults. So tonight's show is about cancer myths. It was one of the hot topics that came up when we polled our listenership, what do they want to hear this season. And, you know, we joke about, you know, is cancer contagious or can you contract something or, you know, do you become magnetic after this? And, you know, on, after reading the uh, the recent news about how, uh, HPV is now spread among teenagers through oral sex. You can catch cancer now, can't you? <clears throat> well, yes, you can. Um, actually, when you think about it, there are lots of infections that lead to cancer. So the commonest you know, around the world is, as you mentioned, cervical cancer through HPV, which is a sexually transmitted disease, which is now not only shown to cause cervical cancer but head and neck cancers. We know we have hepatitis, you know, B and hepatitis C. Those two lead to liver cancer, and there's about 500,000 cases a year. So, in fact, infections do play a role in cancer, and actually you can prevent it by vaccinations um, on <clears throat> for a lot of patients. So I think the, the idea where cancer comes from where it, it, is sort of evolving over time. Clearly, it's your genetics that load the gun, if you will, but but it is your environment that pulls the trigger. So if you have the right genetic background and then you go on, on to have an infection, maybe that's what sets you up. Not everyone who gets infected with HPV goes on to get cervical cancer or head and neck cancer, and clearly not everyone who gets hepatitis B or hepatitis C goes on to have liver cancer. But you do not just pick it up and catch it from talking to someone in the street, um, which is unfortunately too many people still believe that. Yeah. Lenny, you know what, let's talk about, because this has been in the news also so much lately, uh, cell phones, which we keep coming back around to. We had Dr. Deborah Davis, who you know come on the show. She's written a whole book about how she thinks cell phones are harmful. And I know I saw a news report recently where I believe they took two groups 
of people who uh, one had prolonged cell phone use and another did not, and I, I believe they did MRIs of their brains and they showed certain parts of an MRI kind of light up, for lack of a better term, uh, who use cell phones in a, uh, for prolonged periods of time. Any feeling about that, just because that's kind of a really buzzworthy topic at the moment? That's a good topic. I think Deborah Davis is probably alone right now in, in, in trying to be able to really prove that cell phone usage really has increased cancer. It is a, you know, we, we've gone to a couple of these. Just go back a little bit in history. So think about lung cancer. When everyone in the 50s and 60s smoked, it took a while to be able to recognize that lung cancer was due to smoking, right? Because it could have been so many things happening. When 80% of the population smoked, it was actually really hard. Today we just take it for granted that everyone understands that smoking is related to cancer. But in the 50s and 60s, it was not obvious. It took many years and good epidemiology studies. And epidemiology is the study of causation. Why do you get a cancer? So the, the, we back, I think of ourselves now the same way lung cancer was. When just about everyone, I mean, babies seem to be born, you know, maybe born with a sacred coccygeal tumor, but babies seem to be born with their Bluetooth in their ear. You know, I mean, everyone is using cell phones. When everyone is using cell phones, um, and you're not dying of other things, and you're not dying of infections, and you're not dying of common childhood illnesses, and you go on to be a young adult, and you're not dying of something else, and you think that cancer is increasing, how do you know it's from the cell phone? The, the number of brain tumors hasn't really increased, and we have electromagnetic radiation around us all the time. So it's going to be a hard one to prove. I think Deborah's trying to do some work. They're obviously up against a new type of lobby. Every manufacturer of cell phones it would be trying to prove that she's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, so right now I think that the, answer, the true answer is the data is not conclusive enough in any way, shape, or form to make you paranoid that you shouldn't use a cell phone. There is some question about whether you should use headsets, whether it should be a wireless headset, or whether it should be a a cord headset is not clear, but well, one of the things that sorry, yeah. one of the things Deborah mentioned when she was on the air is in her book is that there are all these secret hidden instructions and warnings in the um, the uh, the manuals that come with these cell phones about how you shouldn't hold them so close to your head. I've been through like so many cell phones with, with this breaking and that breaking. Every one of these cell phones has nothing in there about hold it five inches from your head. So I don't know what she was she getting there from like old cell phone manuals or. Yeah, actually, it's a good question because we looked at that too when, when when she said that, and we can't find it. I looked when you I mean you don't even get a manual anymore when you buy. You know, it's all digital, but I'm not sure that's really out there. And I, and I think what's also interesting is the evolution of the phone has changed so dramatically over the last few years. So, it, which phone are we talking about? The right. Phone from five years ago or ten years ago? That's what I'm it's saying. It's the Michael back. Douglas phone from Wall Street. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, if, if you're a naughty boy and you um, you believe you're going to be the king of the Wall Street, that's when you get head and neck cancer. But he got <laughs> head and neck cancer. He didn't get he didn't get a brain tumor. Right. And his could have been HPV. You know, we don't know. I have, the data hasn't come out whether he had HPV associated. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's one of the new breakthroughs. For a long time, we did not realize. We always just blamed the, the guy who smoked and the person who drank a lot because head and neck cancer was always associated with drinking and smoking. 
But now we've got HPV uh, coming up. Um, it's been called Monica's disease. Um, you know, there's been change in sexual habits, and, and where are we going to see more HPV-related head and neck cancer is going to be a very intriguing problem. Brain tumors are not necessarily just due to cell phones. There's a lot of epi that needs to be done. Well, Lenny, you're going to stand on. We're going to bring on Dr. Moynihan now, so a bit of a roundtable. He's been listening, sure. and he's very intrigued by this call. And he brings to the table a whole host of uh, expertise in popular myths. It's been published by the Mayo Clinic. So let's uh, let's bring him out here. Dr. Timothy Moynihan is a consultant in medical oncology at the Mayo Clinic and associate professor at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine. He's a board-certified internal medicine, uh, medical oncology, and hospice and palliative care medicine. He did his medical oncology training at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, went on to the University of Minnesota and St. Paul Regions Medical Center in St. Paul, Minnesota for seven years before moving to the Mayo Clinic in 1999. <clears throat> Let's see, where is he? Here he is. Dr. Moynihan is the director of the Hematology Oncology Training Program at Mayo Clinic Rochester and medical director of Mayo Clinic Hospice. Please welcome Dr. Timothy Moynihan. Dr. Moynihan, welcome. Welcome to the show. Well, great. Thanks for having me. It's been, it's been great listening to this so far. Yeah, I mean, this is a very highly requested topic of our listenership. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't. There aren't really many myths within the cancer community because we kind of know them already. But how do we explain things to the outside world? Obviously, the cell phone thing is a big deal. Um, but I wanted to kick it off because one of the first questions on your uh, your your published document here is all about antiperspirants. And deodorants, and do they get Something into your I lymph was, nodes? Yeah, I was, immediately as a breast cancer patient, I was told don't use, what is it, aluminum? Or in, aluminum in, and magnesium, maybe, and do we and want these things going? To, yeah. yeah. What's, what's the real truth? Well, well I, again, I, I think uh, we don't have the good epidemiology studies that really tell us what, what is actually happening there, as, as uh, uh, Dr. Center has referred to. But, you know, as far as we can tell, there's really, really as far as we can tell, no link to that. Uh, there have been some studies that have looked at um, people who use uh, the aluminum-based underarm deodorants, and sometimes you can find little traces of aluminum in the axillary lymph nodes, lymph nodes under your armpit. And so people have then made the leap, well, maybe that's what's causing the, the, the breast cancer. Well, th- that sort of doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I'm not sure that you've got this, uh, something you're putting on a topical skin. If it's going to get to the breast, it's really going to have to go into your bloodstream, circulate all around, and then get to your breast. It's not going to get there from going directly continuously through the lymph nodes and then back up. It doesn't make a lot of sense that it would sort of flow that way. But so people have, have you know, always trying to find explanations for anything that they possibly can. And if you see see a link with anything, that's fine. But is it bad to just be have it in, be in, excuse me, to have it just be in the lymph nodes, regardless of whether or not it gets to the breast? Yeah, exactly. Because you know it, things would go from the breast to the lymph node and then into the bloodstream, but they shouldn't go from the skin to the lymph nodes then into the breast. That's sort of not I the see. way yeah. things normally flow. Because there, there are actually valves, and that within the lymph channels that allow lymph fluid to flow like from an organ or from a tissue into the lymph node, then into the into the systemic circulation, so your body can get rid of it. Usually, it can't go the other way. So. You know, can I say it, it absolutely doesn't happen? No, but, uh, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that it would. Lenny, do you, have you ever gotten those questions? We have. It's actually quite it, – it, for a while they would seem to be common, people were asking mm-hmm. us about um, antiperspirants. We, we agree that uh, it doesn't make any physiological sense that a topical would cause breast, breast cancer. 
And I think we've got to break breast cancer up into two major groups. The group that affects us is, is the young adult breast cancer, which is the premenopausal breast cancer, um, which is a different uh, disease, if you will, than the standard older adult breast cancer, which occurs somehow related to uh, estrogen use. I mean, there was something fascinating today that just said that uh, women who have a lot of children on greater increase and over a short period of time are greater risk of getting triple negative breast cancer, which is the one we see in our African-American population and we see in the young adult population, which goes absolutely in the face of what was normally said, which was that having having a pregnancy actually was protective in, in the young adult patient and the older woman. So I think there's a lot of things that we still clearly don't know, but I think you know, the, the very well put is patients are always searching to explain something that happened to them that, that just seems easy. Well, it was my underarm deodorant, it was X. Aluminum, by the way, is in every one of our Coke cans and Diet Coke cans, and you know there's a lot of aluminum in, in in stuff. There's a lot of mercury in fish. How all those variables come together is what makes epidemiology so hard. Because how do you dissect away? We never live our life in isolation. Dr. Moynihan, your comments? Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. And it's it's fascinating that there's so many different factors that you have to take into account there. And it's very difficult, again, to tease that one thing out. And I think the same thing goes for the the, the whole thing with, as you were just talking about, about brain tumors and uh, cell phones. Are they possibly related? You know, I, I think we don't know, but what I do think is that we're going to find out fairly soon because if you look at almost anything that's introduced into a population that is eventually shown to be a cause for cancer, there's usually a 20 to 30-year lag time between the thing being introduced into the population and we actually start to see the increase in, in cancer incidence. And, of course, the best one is the cigarettes. If you look at the – you plot the use of cigarettes in the United States per, 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 per capita person – and the, the increase in incidence of lung cancer, there's a nice 20-year lag time between those two curves when, when they go up. So I would expect that if phone, cell phones do cause cancer, we're going to find out in the next 10 years or so. And the reason I say that is that in 1985 was the first license for any cell phone uh, uh, company in the United States. So prior to 18, 1985, there were no cell phones. That's just 25 years ago now. And, and, and there's a penetration of cell phones into the market, as you say. Even when you're first born, you know, every newborn now has a cell phone and is chatting on it three times a day. So we have to give 20 years time for the, the thing that's going to start the cancer to, to, to start causing it and to start, actually start to see the increase. If we are going to see an increase, it's going to be just a huge boom in this. Now, I, right now, I think the data out there is, is such that we really don't know one way or the other if it causes cancer. There's nothing that's convincingly says it does, but there's not enough data to really absolutely say it doesn't. I personally don't, don't think it will, but like say in the next five to ten years we'll know for sure because there should just be this huge boom in it. But again, gonna, we have to allow at least a 20, 25-year lag time before we see it. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back around actually to two specifics because I'm going to pick up on some questions that are in the chat room here and one that I'm particularly mm-hmm. interested in. And these are completely uh, 
two unrelated topics here, but one of them I know, Dr. Moynihan, you've discussed before, is microwave ovens, which I know I run for the hills when I turn my microwave on. I don't want to be anywhere near it. I'm the <laughs> I don't same know. way. I, I just, you know, and, and I think also uh, plastics, we know, I, I live in, you know, this is tremendous fear in my whole household that, God forbid, anything plastic gets in the microwave and you turn it on, we're all going to blow up and be dead in two seconds. Uh, there's that. And then, uh, as I said, completely un- unrelated, a question in the chat room and something I wonder about as a breast cancer patient, soy milk specifically in diet. Th- this debate about soy. I love soy milk. I eat a lot of products. I had a ER positive uh, breast cancer uh, stage 1 15 years ago. Uh, how does anything about soy specifically with a um, ER uh, estrogen responding breast cancer and at the other end of the spectrum, uh, thoughts on microwaves? Yeah, I, I, a couple things. There was just a recently published, very large uh, study looking at uh, the use of soy in, in breast cancer, and there, there's absolutely no evidence that, that that affects it one way or, direct, or the other. Everybody's always worried about these so-called phytoestrogens within soy, and would that possibly promote breast cancer growth? Um, you know, again, the recent data suggests that there's really uh, looks like no effect in one direction or the other. Uh, so it looks like it's perfectly safe to use it. So I think with I like that in answer. Life, uh, that? that that works for me. I like that oh, good. answer. Good. You know, I, I think it you know, with everything in life, moderation is reasonable. It, if the only thing you eat is soy, that's probably not good for you for a lot of other reasons. You know, you need to have balance in life. Uh you know, but I, I wouldn't exclude it either just because you had breast cancer. The other thing is is quite honestly, I am still not even convinced that estrogen causes breast cancer either. Um and I know that that, that may shock a lot of people but uh, if you look at the studies that look at women, uh, again, the most common uh, time breast cancer occurs is in the postmenopausal setting, uh, after menopause, when women have relatively low uh, estrogen levels naturally. Yet the vast majority of estrogen receptor positive breast cancer occurs during this low estrogen state. And the longer time you spend in this low estrogen state, the longer you are postmenopausal, the greater your chance of having breast cancer. In addition, when we look at these studies with the, look at people who take supplemental estrogen for postmenopausal reasons or any other reason, there is an increase in breast cancer uh, in women who take those. Well, we also see the breast cancer risk increase within the first year of starting that. Well, if we understand cellular kinetics at all and, and the growth of tumor cells at all, that cancer cell that showed up a year after starting the estrogen therapy has probably been there more than 10 years. And because right. they're understanding how breast cancer cells grow, that's probably been there a long time. So I, I can't believe that the estrogen caused it. I could say maybe the estrogen made it grow a little faster. Maybe it accelerated it. I, that I would buy. But I'm not sure it was actually the causal agent. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, again, do we have an absolute answer there? No. And actually, if anything in the test tube is more, if any hormone is more likely to cause cancer in, in, in the breast cancer setting in the test tube, it's more the progestational hormones. Those seem to be a much more... Uh, active carcinogenic substance, at least in the test tube, but that's not real life either, so we don't, really don't know. Yeah. Um, as far as the, the microwaves, you know, w- does microwave energy, you know, remember, not all radiation is equal, okay? And microwave energy is re- generally felt to be relatively non-ionized radiation and probably doesn't damage DNA and other things the way that ionizing radiation does. So does that actually cause cancer? I, I don't know that it does. Um, I, I, I don't think there's enough data to, to support that. The plastics thing has been interesting. There's all been interest in some of these chemicals that may be released uh, in the plastics. 
again, there's so many different epidemiologic things that are factors that are playing in there. It's hard to tease that out. Um, uh, again, I, I don't think there's convincing data that says it does. Could it play a role? Again, in if you brought the right uh, genetic background into it to somebody who's very susceptible to it, could it possibly occur? Sure, it, it might. Is there convincing data that, it, that that everybody should avoid that? No, I don't think there is. Lenny, your thoughts? And, and again, if you... Maybe, I I always see like these little triangles underneath the bottles of water that have like a number one or number two and number three and number four. Do you know anything about that and why there are different plastic numbers and does that factor into this conversation? You know, I'm not an expert on that component, Matt. And um but let me tell you my just to move back to the estrogens, I think it is it's a very complicated story. What, the whole estrogen belief is that when the 100,000 woman trial ended or came out and said that women who were taking hormone replacement therapy had an increased incidence of breast cancer. And when we were able to tell women they don't need to do that, we've seen the numbers drop. Now, whether that's entirely due to estrogen replacement is not clear. And I think what happens is the public so quickly or the media so quickly plays up these very preliminary data and 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 that's how you get mythology propagated within the the whole community is that it's it's important to say well do, does a woman naturally need to get estrogen replacement the new data that just came out that said if you get it around the time you perimenopausal it it may increase your risk of, of breast cancer but i think what i'm interested in is what happens to a young adult because in in our case Again, we're dealing with premenopausal breast cancer. That's a very different cancer. And the question is, what is, it, what is going on? Only 10% is due to genetics that we understand today based on the science. But think about what's coming down the road. It may be that you, your genetics set you up, and certain people are set up under certain estrogen um, milieu can get these cancers. So, I mean, I think we're going to see a lot more work being done, and we're not going to be just jumping up and saying everything is bad for you as well as you can say nothing is absolutely good for you. We have somebody in the chat room who believes that New Jersey causes cancer. <laughs> could, we, could we take your comments on that? <laughs> well, it's definitely yeah, Governor not Chris good Christie if you're mafia, you, you know, or, or, or schnooky, you know. That's not exactly. <laughs> you say schnooky? That's awesome. I love you, Lenny. I thought the people from New York thought New Jersey is a cancer. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Nothing west of New York matters. So. Okay. Uh, I have a question uh, specifically about... Um, like uh well again this this idea of um uh, of plastics and microwaving plastics and you know how does that factor into like i, I guess i you know i was going to go into recycling and that's not really what we're talking about here because i was told that if you reuse plastic bottles enough it leaches the chemicals it's not your specialty but clearly that's a cancer myth that's an sort of extension of the previous conversation about microwaving but uh, I'll turn it to Lisa because I'm running out of ideas. <laughs> you, are you trying to talk like BP? Uh, like the BPH? BPH? Yeah, I mean, is that something that you guys can comment on, BPH? Well, there, there, there are certainly some studies that show that if you microwave, you do release more BPAs into the, whatever BPA, you're cooking right. and stuff. Yeah, BPA. Uh, but whether or not that actually causes cancer, again, is a very difficult thing to tease out. You know, um, uh, these are chemicals, and these are fairly toxic chemicals. Uh, but if you think about 
some of the most potent poisons that we have in the world, uh, a lot of the most potent poisons we have, including many of the chemotherapy drugs we have, really are plant-derived proteins, and they're just taken straight out of plants. So plastics are not the only bad guys out there. There are certainly lots of other things that have lots of chemicals in them that can be very, very toxic and, and, and uh, cause lots of different problems. Again, is it easy to blame it on that? It may be. It may be sort of a convenient scapegoat in a setting where we don't have a good explanation for what we have. So people are just looking for answers. It's very common that any answer that you can come up with may be better than no answer at all. And it's the uncertainty that really bothers people. And as as we heard before, as Dr. Sander was saying, you know, uh, having something to to assign it to is sometimes just mentally uh, more acceptable to people. I'd like to actually talk more about diet because we did have uh, Chris Carr, you know, Crazy Sexy Cancer, and now she has this new book, Crazy Sexy Diet, on the show last week. And she has a lot of medical experts uh, who have consulted on her book, I believe, and contributed to it and that she's worked with over the years. And, you know, ain't nothing going to convince her that uh, diet doesn't play an enormous uh, factor in, you know, specifically her her cancer, and she, I think she believes all cancers, and she would say that many de- doctors like mine, and I adore all my doctors, but everybody always said everything in moderation, uh, and she would scoff at that. And is it because uh, oncologists still are not trained necessarily in specifics of nutrition? I mean, what are your thoughts about you know, this kind of still this idea of everything in moderation, but that, in fact, there are several medical experts who will say, no, don't eat this, do eat that, don't eat that, you know, as, as, a, as a Chris Carr would, would relate. And are Twinkies a food group? <laughs> <laughs> Twinkies are the food group. Nice. Twinkies and like chocolate are the two main food groups, right? Um, well, I, I think it's, you know, again, it's a difficult thing to tease out. If you look at some of the very large studies, like the, uh, the Iowa Nurses Study and the Iowa Women's Health Study, where they followed diets over a long period of time, that they seem to be very have a very difficult time of trying to tease out again one dietary thing. You know, which diet is it? Is it a diet that's high in fat or low in fat or high in carbohydrates or low in carbohydrates or what mix and and exactly what do you have? And and, and you're throwing on top of that the whole genetic mix of the different people as well as other things that they do and their 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 genetic background. Hers is well, what the like, anti-inflammatory uh, diet, right, Matthew? It was what she would call it. Well, she's uh, all about alkalinity and uh, and um, right. pH balance. The pH balance. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, well, I have trouble with the whole pH thing because again, if your kidneys are working, your kidneys will re- regulate your body's pH within a tenth of a point or so. So, if your kidneys work, you know your your body's pH will be fairly normal, and whether or not what you eat will influence that. Again, if your kidneys are working, they should be taking care of that because that, that's one of the major jobs that they do, as long as they're working. But, you know, if you look at animal models of various fats, because we have lots of different animal models for, for diets and to try and cause cancer, the only animal diet that is consistently shown to decrease the risk of animals developing cancer is a calorie-restricted diet. Okay. Not a starvation diet, but a calorie I just read about that. Calorie restriction is when you eat the bare minimum to live. Right. And you and, actually and wind it, up living it, to 120. And it doesn't matter what, how you restrict those calories. You can give them nothing but fat. You can give them nothing but carbohydrates. You can give them nothing but protein. The cancers drop in all of those groups as long as you restrict the total calories. So and we should only eat like 2,000. No, no. It's, it's like 18, 12, I mean, you have 1,500 calories a day. 
Right, you have to be less than 20% of your what would be regarded as ideal. But, you know, I think the, the issue, and, I, and we all love Chris, but, you know, there, there are only probably a couple of thousand people in the world. Who 900. Could live on her diet. 900. Who can, I read it, in the, it was on Nightline. You know, and who can live on her diet. You know, the, the, the issue is that food is so complex. I think Michael Pollan's book, In Defense of Food, is something that I use with all my patients. Oh, you do? Interesting. Because he says it very simply. He says, yeah. eat food. The less processed, the better. So if it's Velveeta, you know it's not healthy. If your grandmother needed a Ph.D. to make it, it's probably not healthy. It says, eat less animal. So that makes sense. You know, who knows how much is less animal and more plants. So I think you've got to come up with something that people can do on a, every single day Chris of their life. Board. Chris is on board with that. She eats plants and no animals. That's a kind of a basic tenet But she doesn't diet. really preach. I think that's no. the thing. No, She's because this is my but, idea. But it, is, yeah. but, but it is hard to live some of that on a consistent basis. Yeah. You know, Andrew Wheel just opened a new restaurant here in Southern California called True Foods, and it's, it's, it's a concept of everything is healthy in the restaurant, and it's very tasty, and it's not raw food. It's, it's, it's healthy food. But no one knows. Every food you can think about, you eat fish, you're going to have mercury poisoning. If you eat this, it's going to have that. I think it comes down to what makes sense. I can tell you what makes sense. is we we got a population in this country of obese people that we need to stop being obese. This getting exercise, keeping your weight down, restricting your calories is probably the safest thing you can do. And when we talk about population-based, it is probably the smartest thing we can do. Getting diabetes, being overweight is not healthy for anyone. So I think somehow we need to get back to more basics. So let's tell people to stop being so fat, you know, and, 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 and stop being so polite about people who are fat. We should look at each other when we're fat and say we're fat, and you don't look good, and go on diet. Because I can tell you there is a real problem. We've we, we seen it in the graduating kids who started in children's hospitals and now ending up in adult, the diabetes clinics are full of these kids in their 15, 16-year-olds who are grossly obese. And yeah. I'm really worried about what's going to do to cancer rates in the next 10 or 20 years, besides their heart problems that they have. But I want to ask a question, maybe our guest can help us with this. The, the concept of vitamin D, that is about the most complicated and the conflicting data on a daily basis. There was the IOM study, and then now recently there's a new study that came out today in, in anti-cancer that suggests, oh, no, you need to be using real high doses of vitamin D. Every study that you look at that had whole, uh, vitamin replacement where people went crazy and used too much has ended up being a dangerous study. It ended up causing more cancer than it prevented. So I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the new, the new paper that sort of was coming out uh, that came out today in the anti-cancer well, I, journal. I have not seen that one yet, but certainly, uh, again, you wait a couple hours and there will be another paper coming out on the opposite side of that, too. I think you're exactly right. This has been fluctuating all over the place uh, in, in the last few years, uh, and certainly I know many of our um, uh, nutrition and endocrinologists have been very hot on a lot of vitamin D replacement, but recently they've uh, backed off on that. Um, I think this is a very complicated story that is, 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 is again, is one of these things that doesn't have an answer right now. 
and you're right, we're getting uh, 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 one side and the other, and we're going to have to let some of this data just settle down for a while and, and find out, you know, um, what the real story is, because I don't think we know. Um, vitamin D, certainly there's, there's many people who are extraordinarily vitamin D deficient, particularly in, in my part of the world up in Minnesota here, where we're indoors all winter and without much sun. Um, uh, and uh, certainly that may play a role in certain types of cancer. But um, um, I, I think that the jury's out on that. We're just going to have to uh, uh, give it time and see what happens. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a simple answer there. What about going to the back to the very basics, and I may be way be, way behind the trend in asking things here, but again, uh, going back to my diagnosis 15 years ago, where it's all you know, about you. <laughs> I know, I know it is. Uh, it, it, it where where back then diet all anybody talked about was the anti antioxidants, and again, my doctor said there's no proof. There's really there's really no proof um, that the antioxidants will get rid of the free radicals and all of that. Uh, where does that all stand at this point? Well, we certainly know that inflammation is a potential cause for cancer. And we certainly see that in, in people who have, let's say, a chronic draining wound someplace. Uh, they're more prone to get the uh, squamous cell carcinoma of, uh, of the skin in that area for that. And there's some good data that shows that chronic persistent inflammation in any area actually does change the uh, uh, methylation pattern of the DNA, and so it clearly can alter the genes. And there's Bill Nelson from uh, Hopkins has some very nice data in prostate cancer and other people who have a lot of inflammation around it. You do start to turn on and turn off certain genes. If you're unlucky enough to have the wrong genes turned on and turned off, it probably increases your risk for having cancer. So the, the question is, is, is if you eat, if you can achieve a diet that decreases the amount of in, inflammation and inflammatory cytokines in, in your body, can you alter that? Well, I'm not aware of any data that shows that changing your diet will actually do that. I think that the thought behind it is, is a reasonable thought process. I'm just not sure that it's worked out in practice yet and or, or anything to uh, suggest that. Again, can your body process or take care of this chronic inflammation? This actually may be part of the role for, again, there was some talk earlier about the viruses causing cancer. Certainly we do know that HPV uh, and and uh, Epstein-Barr virus and multiple and the hepatitis viruses certainly cause cancer, and is part of the mechanism of that uh, so some of the uh, uh, local inflammation that it causes in bringing in various other immune-mediated cells to try and affect those viruses, and then that starts some kind of cascade that helps to contribute to the de development of cancer in certain people, possibly, but I'm not aware of uh, anybody ever showing a diet that ac would actually change that. I, I fully agree. And the one thing, going back to the concept of diet, why don't people just eat their blueberries and blackberries? Why do we have to take these antioxidant tablets? I mean, going back and looking, we know certain foods are high in antioxidants. So eat a healthy diet, and guess what? It's part of your healthy diet. So, But it, we really haven't shown or been able to prove that you can affect the tissue antioxidants level by taking something. That hasn't really been shown, and I think people have tried really hard. There's a massive industry making antioxidants, but you know, eating pecans or eating pistachios have high in antioxidants. Eating certain berries, so it goes back to the rule. You know, eat, eat food. There's probably some health in food, just regular food that hasn't been processed. Well, we're running out of time, and Lisa had uh, one more question for our guests. 
No, I just wanted to. Uh, or maybe I just, she doesn't. I, I, I just wanted to say to, to wrap up. I guess in general for the young adults that are listening out there who uh, are, are survivors who have been diagnosed, it sounds like you know in general what both of you are saying is you know avoid the processed foods. Um, there's lots of good foods out there. Twinkies are not a food group. And uh, no, no, they are. Ex- he ex- said they are. <laughs> and he's a doctor. Exercise. Uh, is is there uh, quickly from b- both of you? Is there is there a general rule of f- thumb exercise routine that you recommend patients say x number of you know four days of cardio a week and and something to keep your 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 muscle strong? It just as a kind of simple rule of thumb to go along with diet. Well, I personally would would say that you should uh, do exercise that you enjoy. And two reasons for that. One, you'll keep there, doing there's it. There's exercise you can enjoy? <laughs> the concept yeah. is beyond Matthew. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and, and it can happen. I mean, you, there's lots of different ways to exercise. I mean, quite honestly, if you go out and ballroom dance and do, do it appropriately, that would be great, a great cardio exercise. So, you know, it could be swimming, it could be bicycle riding, it could be cross-country skiing and playing basketball. But the idea is that it, it, it has multiple positive effects besides just the physical movement. The physical movement is great and it can do all kinds of things and bring down your blood pressure and burn calories and it makes you poop better and breathe better and feel better and, and it relaxes you and makes you sleep better at night and so you feel better the next day and there, there's innumerable uh, benefits there. But again, the, the exercise that's going to work for you is the one you're going to continue to do. So you have to find something you enjoy. And um, Fingertips on an Android, Matthew, doesn't yeah, count. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. Lenny, final and thoughts? I, yeah, and uh, I absolutely agree with the concept about exercise. We we are really trying to push exercise not only for our cancer patients when they finish their therapy, but during their therapy. So we're about to look and do a study at the university where we're going to try and encourage exercise during it, any exercise. And we believe that you need to do at least half an hour of exercise a day um, to keep yourself healthy. So any exercise is important. A couch potato, Android, you know, is not is not cool exercise. So I think if there are benefits to you. Remember, we want people to be healthy. The effect of chemotherapy is on their heart and their endocrine system and sets them up for metabolic syndrome. So exercise, the right diet, is, is critical to healthy survivorship. Well, I, I can't thank you both enough for being on the show. Again, this is, I'll say a third time, one of our most requested uh, topics of conversation. We've had a, a, an unprecedented, unprecedented number of people in the live chat tonight. I think tonight. we broke a chat room record 68 tonight. 68 people in the live chat at some point, 66 now. Um, really, we're going to a lot of listeners tonight. This will be a very well-received show. Fran Drescher doesn't even get those no, numbers. No, well, you guys have beat <laughs> Fran Drescher. You guys are amazing. Uh, so thank you for your time. Thank you so much for contributing. And um, we put your links uh, to your pages on Mayo Clinic and Chuck, respectively, on the forums. Uh, people can contact you and contact us. And this has been a great show. Thank you both, gentlemen, so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. Leonard Sender and uh, Dr. Timothy, Timothy Moynihan. Moynihan. Yes. Good stuff. Really good stuff. Okay. So, um all right, well, we have to wrap up uh, really quick here, but I do want to let Aaron uh, talk about the experience this weekend at the, the Young Survival Coalition's 11th Annual Conference for Young Women with Cancer, otherwise now known as the C4YW. It's also uh, it's known as the Young Women Affected by Breast Cancer. That's so it's for right. people that are at high risk, people who are... That's exactly what I tried to say. I know, I know. You were very close. Loved ones. Loved I, ones. I really tried. All right, so let... Give us the rundown. 
Uh, we had, it was great attendance. We had a fabulous booth set up. Kenny Kane was there, and our two representatives from Florida, Erica Reyes and Jason Lott, who are fabulous, were there as well. And we got to meet a lot of wonderful young survivors, as well as quite a few caregivers that were there. Um, we met some great uh, young men, husbands, and boyfriends that were there that was really, really exciting. Were Men Against Breast Cancer there? They're a great organization. Did you see them? I did not see them. Okay. D- our cool. friend Dusty Showers was there. Oh, sure. Dusty. The man in the pink bra. Yes. He kept a regular shirt on for most of it, though, and he'd kind of... Oh show off the bras occasionally. Very nice. I think think everyone appreciated the regular shirt. (laughs) Okay. As much as we love Dusty. Exactly. But overall, very positive, very energized. Yeah, it was very positive. Everyone was very, very excited. Um, We got our message of stupid cancer out to a lot of people. I know there are probably quite a few people listening tonight that were And welcome. Welcome to all of our C4YW new listeners. And we had a huge PO. We had a huge, PO. Yeah. huge crowd of people who were actually over the age demographic who were, you know, in in their 40s, in their 50s, but were definitely jumping on the bandwagon and drinking the Kool-Aid and we said we won't turn you away. Of course not. Yeah, there are, we get 41-year-olds that are like, "Can I please be a part of this?" Like, of course you can. 41-year-olds. Those ancient 41-year-olds. Yes. Well, you're 30, ah. you look great for 37. Thank you. For the how many how manyth time? You don't ask that, man. <laughs> we love Lisa Lisa <laughs> Bernard. Remember, I used to call you Lisa Bernard. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> okay, what's worse? You ask know me. who I am. <laughs> <laughs> you are sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, this is just a, a great show. Clearly, something if they we wanted to listen to. Yes, I am formally declaring it's a great show. Uh, always, uh, when we have great shows, it's always due to our great guests. Yes, it was. Susan, did you enjoy yourself? Loved every minute of it. Every minute. Everyone. Not even a single second was no, horrible. Susan a was a second. great guest, and she didn't fight with us. No, she, she didn't. She's a litigator. You were very amenable as for a litigator. She was. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, let's wrap up the show with our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that's tonight's show, our 173rd broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. Alrighty, I'd like to thank our in-studio guests, James Manning, Anna Brower, Ian Season, Aaron Eloise, Kenny Kane, and Peter, I didn't get your last name, but Peter in the background. Uh, and our guests, the lovely Susan Moser, Drs. Leonard Stender, and Timothy Moynihan. Join us next week, March 7th, for Survivors Go Retail! In the spotlight, Lagaya Joy King, an adult survivor of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And then joining us, Lauren Brill, a young adult survivor of Hodgkin's lymphoma. And she's the founder of Sweet Lauren's Cookie and Brownie Dough, just when we're talking about healthy diets. That sounds awfully tasty. And David Lux, young adult survivor of testicular cancer, founder of Deluxe Honey Drop Beverages. Alrighty, folks, if you missed any of our past shows, subscribe to the iTunes podcast and download them all for free at iTunes.stupidcancer.com or free. check out the archives. Yes, for free. Or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week live 
from the chemo deck, Lisa Bernhardt, Captain Stubby, and I wish you all a great week. Go, Go to, to bed, Zar and Burbles. And Burbles. Blurbles. Blurbles. Darn Blurbles. Blurbles. Good night, everybody. Good night. Welcome.